Hello, everybody. It's Leslie Jane Seymour, founder of Covey Club, and I'm here to talk to you about Reinvent Yourself. I have such a good person for you today, somebody who I met when I was running More Magazine when she was just relaunching, relaunching, launching a new product called Plum Alley. It's Deborah Jackson. She has a long history of Wall Street success. She was on the street for 20 years, um, and now she has created her own investment firm that invests largely in women-owned businesses or uh, mixed businesses where there's a woman somewhere. And she's all into women entrepreneurs, and she's all into hanging in there and not letting all these crazy crisis moments get to us. Um, we are speaking to her, it happens to be March 18th, right in the middle of this pandemic. And just so you know, we had a switch in the middle of our discussion to a phone um, because for whatever reason, the Wi-Fi kept going down and I'm sure it's because people are all switching because they're all at home. They're no longer, they, have, they all have to learn how to use Wi-Fi and Zoom and all the things that we as entrepreneurs have been using forever, but it's probably overloading capacity. So that's why you hear her suddenly switch tone. That's she's on the phone. But we persevered as women always do. And I think you're just gonna find her really inspirational. And I particularly love the fact that, you know, she really thinks that this may be a big turning point and it's going to open up all kinds of opportunity for people with ideas about the new world and, and how we're going to go forward. So just a little bit of her background so you have it. She became an entrepreneur after a two-decade-long career on Wall Street, raising capital for clients in the public and private markets at Goldman Sachs. And after, and after she launched the healthcare technology practice at Shatuk Hammond Partners, a boutique healthcare firm. She has been an active investor in early-stage healthcare and technology companies for over two decades. In 2011, she founded Plum Alley, a company with a focus on the economic aspects and success of women entrepreneurs. So let's welcome Deborah Jackson. So welcome, Deb. I'm so glad that we have a chance to actually talk. It's been a while and we met back when I was at Moore Magazine and you were just getting going with your project. So I'm so glad to see you here with us at, at uh, the Covey. Yeah, I'm delighted to be participating today. And I have to say, oh my goodness, what's happened in a span of two years? Yes. Both of us. Yes. Really amazing. Yes. So let's talk about your reinvention because that's what this is all about. And let's talk about, I always like to go back into people's history because you can always find a little thread of why they did what they did often. Talk about where you grew up and how you found yourself in, you know, in the financial business to start with. Yes, I, um, yeah, great, great question. So I think about my past and my childhood and, and really one of the pivotal transformative things that happened to me was that my family moved around a lot. My dad worked at IBM for a period of time and, you know, we moved from, I lived in Colorado for a period of time. I lived in the Midwest. I lived in Connecticut, New York. And growing up, that really made me see different environments 
and different groups of people. And so I was often the new kid on the block. And that just made me very resourceful. I was dropped. In, and by the way, I really didn't like that at that age. You know, you kind of want to have your best friends and, um, you know, live life in a very organized way. But that was not my reality. So by moving around, I became very resourceful and very adaptable in new environments. And so now here I am in my 60s and I think back and, and, and realize, wow, that was a good skill set to learn early on, which really enabled me to navigate a lot of the changes and transitions and reinventions that I've, that I've made. And so I guess I lucked out in that respect. It's funny. That's exactly my background. My dad was a doctor in the Navy, and we moved every two years, um, often in the middle of the school years. And um, I think that weirdly in my 60s comes back to serve me, which is why I am a connector and why I have no problem picking up the phone and calling a stranger and saying, hey, do you want to have lunch? Because <laughs> I was the kid who was brought into the school on Valentine's Day, and, and like, I guess that was probably third or second grade. And the teacher said, oh, here's the new girl. Can you all give her a Valentine? And these kids looked around and they picked the ugliest Valentine and begrudgingly gave it to the new kid, right? So Uh, it's funny how that serves you, right? But so interesting, you had the same thing. Yes, it was uh, really, really great. And I've used those skills and that frame of reference and and what what I know has really been fundamental for me as I've made decisions along the way in my life and really having that sense of, you know, what do I really think? What is right for me? And not paying attention to too many outside voices, Mm. really saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go do it. And by the way, also by moving around a lot, I became, uh, I believed in my own ability to navigate uh, change and to succeed or thrive in it even. And I think that's, you know, a lesson that I've taken to heart and, you know, it's really helped me in a, in a good way. And it it wasn't until I was in my sixties and I was able to look back and say, wow, that made such a big difference for me. And how do I share that? with other women to know that, you know, we all have a core. We all have a whole lot more capability. Let's talk about your history a bit. So um, when you went to college, did you know you wanted to go into finance? And how did you find your way into finance? So I, when I went to college, I had um, no idea what I wanted to do when I uh, got out of college. So I just pursued liberal arts. And after college, I immediately moved to Boston. I had $50 to my name. And I had a friend in Boston. And I thought, you know, I want to be in a place where there's a lot of people in my age group and a lot of action. And so worked in a Chinese restaurant for six months in Cambridge, and eventually got my first job, had five years of work experience in Boston. And at the end of that, realized I didn't really have many skills that I needed to move ahead in my career. And so 
thought, okay, what do I do? How am I going to get more skills? I really should go to business school and ended up going to Columbia Business School. I was totally intrigued by New York and so was drawn to Columbia, went to Columbia. And I had worked for five years in Boston in government and the public sector um, related in businesses and activities related to finance. So had an interest in finance, but was not sure where I would want to go. And when I started Columbia Business School, I remember I had red glasses, red framed glasses, um, and was always politically liberal. So when I started business school, I remember some of the professors sort of saying, oh, you know, interesting background you have from the public sector. You seem a little bit, you know, different from many of the students who came from business, like, you know, who are you and what do you want to do? And so um, I didn't really know, but drawing on my own past and being able to be in new situations, I just decided, look, I'm going to finish business school and then, you know, to look and see what's available to me at that, at that time. And so I finished business school. I um, ended up having a whole bunch of job offers. I turned them all down because none of them excited me. And I think I was the only one in my graduating class at, at Columbia Business School w who had no job at the end of business school. But I said, you know what, I'm going to keep exploring and, you know, eventually I will find what I want to do. So I looked around at a whole bunch of fields and really stumbled on investment banking. And at the time, I, you know, obviously had coming from a background in the public sector and with governments, um, stumbled on this area of investment banking, which was called municipal finance. And it was basically raising capital for nonprofits, governments, municipalities, that kind of thing. And so I went in, I, I started at Goldman Back in the 80s, it was a small partnership. There was just a handful of women there and, you know, spent, uh, made it through two decades on Wall Street. And honestly, uh, people who know me say often, like, how did you end up on Wall Street and how did you last on Wall Street for two decades? And I realized how I managed two decades is I was never in the office or very little in the office. I had clients all over the country. I spent most of my time out in, out in the field putting together large transactions, and I loved my clients. They became personal friends. It was, you know, a very exciting time, a lot of action. And so I traveled around, and I did big financings and innovative products and, and just really had a, had a ball out with my clients and, you know, could see what I was doing. There was, you know, when you do a financing and you have a, have an have a financing in the public markets, you can see, you know, the real impact of what you're doing. And I know hospitals around the country that, you know, because of the financing that was done, have new wings, had, you know, CAT scans and things like that. So, um, you know, and, and when I would be back in New York, back at the headquarters, I, you know, in a short period of time, I felt pretty much like a fish out of water, not exactly like, you know, your typical investment banker. Um, and, you know, in a short period of time said, well, this is, you know, interesting. And, you know, I'm making money for the firm. So, you know, I can kind of do my own thing. And I love my clients and I love the travel part of it. So did that and you know, look back on it and, and, and realize the only way I made it through two decades 
is I basically, in a way, was a bit of an entrepreneur building my own book of business and my own clients and doing deals. And, you know, fortunately had the brand name of Goldman and other firms behind me. So, you know, that gave me, uh, opened some doors and just did my business and really liked it. Um, but after a couple of decades decided that was enough, it was time for a new chapter, um, the sort of excitement and learning of doing deals faded and I was just ready for a change. And, you know, so reached that two decade mark, um, decided to retire from Wall Street and did so, then eventually flunked retirement, um, really in a period of a year or two, um, you know, ha- I was very, very fortunate that I had that opportunity to explore things on my bucket list. And I did so. I was on five nonprofit boards. I was in the best physical health because I could go to the gym all the time. And and I could, um, I worked on a political campaign, you know, just a whole bunch of things uh, that I always had wanted to do, which I did. And then Basically, one day I was coming home from the gym and I went to the CVS and I bought shampoo and I arrived home and I had six bottles of shampoo in my bathroom and put down the seventh and said, wait, this is not working for me. There's something wrong here. Like I am have too much energy and too, too much, you know, excitement about the world to be just doing this portfolio of projects that were sort of unconnected and you know, really weren't providing me that much meaning. And so I very consciously said, I need to make a change. And then set about thinking of all the things I could do, was qualified to do, opportunities. And um, what happened is I had been mentoring women entrepreneurs. Um, I had been making some personal investments in private companies. And I just loved that. I just thought, I am so tired of, you know, working in traditional corporate America and, you know, pushing to get women on corporate boards and women in the C-suite and all of this and trying to move a rock up the hill in, you know, old line industry that, you know, all of a sudden it felt very exciting and fresh and new to be thinking about the future and about new companies. Like, if you support a woman founder, a woman entrepreneur, and especially a woman in the STEM fields that's building something, it's all about the future. And that just felt so much more exciting and interesting to me than trying to, you know, correct old line industry. And so I decided, I personally, that that was what got me up in the morning. And that felt very, very exciting. It made my heart beat fast. So I said, well, I should just do more of that, and that matters in the world. And I knew so many great women founders and women, you know, women building tech. And I had, at my last stop on Wall Street, I was working in healthcare technology. So I got exposed to technology and got very excited about the possibilities of using tech to change things for the better. And so all of these pieces of my life and interests and sort of culminated And okay, well, I need to do that. And how do I do that? And looked around, couldn't really see any organization that was quite on point for what I wanted to do and said, okay, I'll just start a company. 
I've been investing in companies. I've been mentoring entrepreneurs. And that whole concept did not seem that scary or daunting to me. So I said, okay, I'll just start a company. That makes most sense. And so literally came home one night and sat down with my husband for dinner. And I said, honey, I've decided what I'm going to do next. And he said, oh, okay, do tell. <laughs> I said, I'm starting a company. And I remember him looking at me, and he's a very big cheerleader of mine, and said, that's great, honey. What is your company going to do? And I looked at him, and I said, well, I'm not sure what – I know the goal. The goal is to advance women entrepreneurs and to, you know, women in STEM. And so I know what I want to achieve, but I do not know the right strategy at this point. And I'm just going to jump off the high dive and I'm going to do it because we'll figure it out because that's what all early stage companies do. And so I ordered, went on overstock.com. I ordered some green chairs. <clears throat> I rented sublet an office. And literally I had one young woman volunteer and we showed up at the office every day and went to work. And from that, you know, in the early days, uh, the company was founded. It was Plum Alley. In the early days, we did a bunch of things to beef up our own skill set and to learn about the market and, you know, did a couple of things early on to get us on the map. And then from there, really decided, okay, there's these great women entrepreneurs that we were meeting and mentoring and helping. But at the end of the day, none of it mattered if they weren't getting the capital they needed to survive. And so another transition for me came about when I was like, okay, we have this problem. We have this problem that these great entrepreneurs are not getting their fair share of capital. The data shows around 2% of venture money goes to women founders. And, you know, I just, I just thought that was a crime and, and said, okay, well, we got, we have to, we have to tackle this problem. And how do we do that? So, uh, I brought in my current co-founder, Andrea Turner Moffat, who is a different generation. She's, you know, in her uh, early 40s. And so I thought, okay, my company is going to expand. And now we're going to move into actually investing. And by the way, that is my background in training, raising capital for companies. So somehow we have to take, you know, what we know and where the world is, and we got to make our contribution. So Plum Alley Investments was founded about four years ago, and we, again, did not, we knew the goal, but we didn't really know the best strategy to get there. So we started experimenting, inviting smart women in mostly our own personal circles, and then it grew. And what we decided is, is actually investing was pretty messed up, that most investing is simply a transaction and people don't really, women in particular, don't quite, quite feel anything about it. It's sort of a necessary evil, like you have to pay your taxes. It's not very pleasant. And so what we figured out is we need to change that experience. There's something fundamentally wrong with how investing is done. And so we very consciously, and Andrea was a big part of this, said, okay, how do we get women to be excited about investing? Like we get excited about philanthropy. We get excited about a whole bunch of things. Why shouldn't we have some joy around this is our hard-earned money? 
why don't we invest it in things we want for the future? And yes, it's about financial returns, but it's way, way, way beyond that. And so with everything we've done at Plum Alley and we experiment, not everything works out, um, but we just change it. We bring in really amazing founders. We do a lot of screening and pick the best of the best. And then we present those founders and the business opportunity to our members. So we realize women are quite busy. They don't have the time or inclination or, you know, desire um, mostly to really be doing the, the work related to investing. So we'll just do that for them and we'll make it very, you know, uh, fun, a, a different experience. So we've been in business now for four years. We've invested 24 million in 19 companies. We have a very active base of, you know, women, 80% women, 20% men. And so this is not just by women for women, but it's really about supporting the great women and half the companies we've invested in have a woman founder. The other half has both women and men. So very much we believe in diversity. We think both women and men have something to bring to the table, but really care about giving access to a much broader base of women and men, but particularly women, because we need to have the women's, the woman's, perspective, their brain at the table when it comes to selecting innovations that we should have in the world and also women as investors because women as investors are really, really smart. They control spending for their families, you know, decisions on healthcare, food, education, recreation, even cars and technology. So why we need to have women at the table saying, yes, let's fund this. Let's build this. This is going to make the world better. This is going to help my family. And that's a perspective that is really lacking in a lot of investing. You know, there's a whole lot of, as we call them, blow them up, beat them up mobile games. Right. You know, why are we not teaching, you know, investing? So, I know I've gone on for quite a bit, but I just felt on a roll there. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fine. So talk about, because there are people um, who are listening who are small entrepreneurs or thinking becoming entrepreneurs. The word out there, as you say, is terrible, that no one invests in women. How Two, two sides of it. Um, how do you pick your people you're going to invest in um, so that people who are entrepreneurs out there can hear that? And then how do people, if they want to invest with you, how do they get involved in that? Yeah, so there are so many um, women entrepreneurs and, and women who don't think they're entrepreneurs, but are truly on, secretly entrepreneurs or not yet discovered entrepreneurs. And one of the things I know from my path is I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I just did my thing. And at some point when I said, okay, what is it I want to do? And all roads sort of led to the existing workforce corporations. It was not quite right. And I just wanted to have a, a company that did things differently that I thought were right. And very hard for women to get that in corporate America. So I, I know from my own self and from other entrepreneurs that I've met in, along the way, they never said, I'm going to go be an entrepreneur. They just, 
had this burning idea or desire that could not be fundamentally met anywhere else. And so they decided, okay, I'll start a company. And I think what we know today with the, with the growth in entrepreneurship and the tools that are accessible, like the internet, like, you know, remote workers, like you can outsource coding and tech stuff. So, and the cost has come way, way, way down. So the cost of founding a company today is, is minuscule compared to what it was before. So I encourage every single woman and man to at least at some point think, do I have some good idea? Do I have some clever idea that needs to be in the world? And oftentimes it comes about from our own problems that we've experienced. You know, we, we can't get something. We don't like the quality of food, you know, whatever it is. And, and so there's always in every person a good idea and it, it becomes, do they want to bring that forward or is the idea, you know, a mediocre idea, probably m- could it make a business? That's fine. Then, you know, perhaps think about joining another company and especially for younger women. And I have two daughters that are, you know, early in their careers. Um, I just tell them, you know, look, it's, it's good to traverse between established corporations and then early stage companies. And maybe you'll create your own company. Maybe you won't but at least be open to the possibilities and think about um, if you don't have the burning idea, what's so bad about going into a early stage company and seeing up close and personal what it's like to be in a early stage company. Because having myself been in both, you know, real business, traditional companies, and also being an entrepreneur, they're so different. And, you know, people, tend to be suited for one or the other. But I think given where the world is, you know, it's, it's good to be flexible and to be able to, you know, cross the line. And over time, I think those lines will become blurrier and blurrier. And the skill set that you learn as an entrepreneur is very, very powerful if you go into an established corporation. Right. It, it's very, very different. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, as we're closing in on our half an hour here, even with all our false starts, um, talk a little bit about, I mean, we are in a period, we are talking um, today on the 18th of March when we're in the full-blown crisis of corona, and it's going to impact the economics of the country. There are going to be a lot of people who are going to be forced to rethink where they are. I'm sure people are going to be laid off who are not being expecting to be laid off, things like that. I mean, do you have any thoughts about that and people who were thinking of raising capital or starting a, um, a company? Is this a good time? Is it a bad time? I remember um, when I was in the publishing business, um, Cy Newhouse, who ran all of Condé Nast, used to like to launch products into the worst markets possible. Now, he was a multi-billionaire, so he could do that because he, <laughs> he thought that was the opportune moments when things were in crisis. And that's when um, he would come up with new ideas to put out there. But does that still apply? What's your thinking? What's your gut thinking? Yeah, so obviously this is a very uncertain time and and one like we've never experienced before. So there's a lot of new here. Um, 
but I personally have been thinking about this quite a bit over the last week or so and my own company and investors, like what is my advice to founders raising capital? What is my advice to investors who might right. invest? Right. And I, and I think the, the real uh, issue is um, in every crisis, there's also opportunity and we are in a crisis. So to me, it, it is an opportunity for every person everywhere to think about, okay, what, what will we need going forward? And that often means we will need different products, different services. We will need different protections. And so it opens up new areas for innovation, new entrepreneurs, new companies. So it's, um, I, I think the point is to be, you know, conservative and cautious, but also to think, okay, we can't give up. We we have to we have to say where do we go from here, and what do we learn from this situation, and how do we how do we prepare ourselves for the future? And you know, with with founders, I think it's it's going to be a, a you know, I would say a three month. It's not the ideal time to be raising capital. However, on the flip side of that, there is a whole lot of money out there on the sidelines. Venture firms have raised billions of dollars. They need to put that to work. So, you know, the good companies probably will get funded. Um, and, you know, it may just be uh, a delay. But I think, you know, life must go on. And, you know, with people losing money or maybe taking money out of the public markets, they're going to need to deploy that money at some point. And, you know, I think of investing in early stage private companies is like that is the best way to create a new future and to get returns because this is probably, we're going to have a new, new situation here and a new normal. So where would you rather have your money? Old line industries that are probably going to be clobbered and not very agile and can't move fast versus, you know, some new companies that have really exciting technologies that can improve our health, improve our longevity, you know, have better food. There's, you know, a lot of things that are not going to go away. And in fact, you can make an argument that, you know, look, the things that are essential, like air quality, good water, better food, better health care, that is not going to go away. That's going to become even more important. So if you're a, a person with an idea and want to be an entrepreneur, certainly think about, well, in this new world, where are there opportunities? And believe me, there are plenty of opportunities and there, there is going to be capital for the things that matter most. The optional things like, okay, do we need another, you know, a lipstick company or whatever, th those probably will not survive. But things that are essential to our quality of life and health um, will become more important. And there is money out there. And so, and, and also for investors, I would say, you know, in, in a period of time when things settle down a bit, you have to go back and invest because you have to invest for the future. And, you know, you have to hope that, you know, you're going to get a return, a financial return. So it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to be upbeat in this 
situation because we don't know the extent of the damage. But I think we have to be thinking past fear um, to be smart, um, you know, uh, but not give up, not give up hope. And, you know, a, a lot more work at Plum Alley. We're going to be doing much more online conversations about innovation and because people are homebound, you know, it could be a time for them really to expand their own horizons just by listening to a podcast or getting inspiration. And that's why I'm so thankful that you do what you do, because, you know, this is a time where we need this right now. We need, we can't physically be together. So, you know, you want to hear from people, you want to get inspired, you want to feel optimism and not, you know, losing hope here because we will survive. We will be on the other side of this at some point and it will be a new reality. And we might as women in particular need to, you know, step up and we need to take this as our opportunity to jump in and, you know, be leaders in this, take care of our families, care of the planet and onward. I love it. I think you're right. And I think there are innumerable, ideas that are, that are going to come out of this. And I think you're right. It may shake out old businesses and create new opportunities for people who have ideas. And um, it's very clear what Mother Earth is saying to us, where those directions are. And women are very plugged into that. So I think you're right. I think there's a great opportunity here for women. And then for older women too, who already have some experience and have um, good networks um, when they have an idea that they can reach out and get funded. So we are at the end of our discussion time. Um, any last words that you would like to pass along to our listeners today? I would just say, don't underestimate yourselves. And now is the time we need women to rise up. We, we all have so much more capability than the world gives us credit for. And especially older women or senior women or wise women um, over 60, they have so much to give back. And, you know, we just have to ignore a lot of the talk that our society gives to youth and all that. It's way overrated. Um, Age and wisdom is really significant. And that's where, you know, that's where we need all the great women, women of all ages, you know, really to come forward. And it's a new day. We should just say, okay, it's a new day. We're going to own it. We need to be here and the world needs us. So we're going to do it. So I'm trying to be upbeat here. (laughs) Good. No, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. So I think it's great. And I think our listeners are with you. And Deborah, if people want to check you out, they go to plumalley.com. It's plumalley.co or .co. .co. Okay. And right. uh, they could just, you know, reach me directly, Deborah at plumalley.co or just info or someone on the team. We've got a team of eight. Great. Um, office in New York and San Francisco. So we're, we're alive and well, doing more, and we'll not give up. So. Good. Me either. <laughs> so, so exciting. <laughs> thank you for being here today, and I so appreciate you talking to everybody, and I'm sure we'll be checking in with you and hear about all the new investments you've made in a year from now that are completely unexpected and new. So we're, we're looking forward to that. Great, great. And thank you for what you do. Really appreciate it.
So thank you everybody for joining us at Reinvent Yourself. This has been Leslie Jane Seymour. I'm the founder of Covey Club. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope it gave you some ideas. That is the whole point. I hope it inspires you and gives you ideas about what you can do. And I do believe we are at a turning point now and we are in a new world and new ideas are going to be needed. And women who have experience and have been around and have a network are going to be needed even more. So the next time that you have an idea about doing a lid of a coffee cup differently, don't just say to yourself, oh, somebody else has probably thought of that. They probably haven't. And you know, take that idea and run with it. I really believe that that is where we're going to be and how we're going to move forward. Uh, if you like our podcast, please subscribe, please share it with other people so they can find inspiration and tips and tricks as well. And if you have anybody who you th think that I should interview who would be great for this podcast, please write me at Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, at CoveyClub.com, C-O-V-E-Y club.com. And also come on over to CoveyClub.com where you can see great content and you can also join our virtual events. We have a lot more of those now. And you can also read all the great content that we have. We have great writers and timely topics. And most of all, come connect with other women just like you through our Covey Connect app and join us. Thank you very much. Till next time.